times. Love never fails. Thank God for that. Love is eternal. Love God's way. It does not end. And uh, we're going to see that theme here this morning. Let's read our text, starting in verse number 8, and we'll read all the way down through verse number 13 this morning. The Bible says, Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Father, what an incredible wisdom wise part of scripture we've read just a moment ago god all of your scripture is wisdom and we understand that but god truly we see how you lead and guide through scripture how you led this first century church to focus on that which is right and that which is true and god i pray that you would help us to do likewise this morning god's circumstances change your word never changes and God, as we see how you, through incredible love, given, has, has given your word and has perfected that word, God, we can truly see how we can trust it. And I pray that you would guide us by it. Holy Spirit of God, I yield once again myself to you afresh and anew. Purge me my thoughts of any desires but to preach the word of God this morning. Help me to help your people now. If there's one here or one watching this morning that does not know Christ, I pray they will get saved. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. Charity, love in action. Few in the Bible knew and felt the love of God like a disciple named John. John, of course, was a loving disciple whom God used to pen. The Gospel of John, as well as 1, 2, and 3 John, as well as the book of Revelation. In the book or in the Gospel of John, he referred to himself often as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he knew what the love of Christ was like. He knew what charity was like. In 1 John chapter 4, John writes, and we know, or we have known and believed, the love that God had to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. He writes, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love knowing the love of god is knowing the very nature and the very heart of god knowing the very characteristics of god incredible god's incredible love is to know god himself think about that for just a moment as we yield to the spirit of god and he enables us to love like christ loves it enables us to do that which is in the very heart and in the very nature of god that is incredible. As we have read through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we could put that word charity in substitution with our Savior Christ. If you were to take that word charity and substitute it with Jesus Christ himself, you would see the personification of love, for God is love. I love that as we think about that very thing, may I read just portions of 1 Corinthians 13 this morning and remind us of the power of Christ who is love. Paul wrote, Though I speak with tongues of men and angels and have not 
charity, Christ. I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not Christ, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not Christ, it profiteth me nothing. Christ suffered long and was kind. Christ envied not. Christ vaunteth not himself, was not puffed up, did not behave himself unseemly, sought not his own, was not provoked, thought no evil, rejoiced not in iniquity, uh, but rejoiced in the truth, bore all things, believed all things, hoped all things, endured all things. Christ never failed, and now abideth faith, hope, and Christ. These three, but the greatest of these is Christ. What an incredible thing it is that God is love. And as we enter into a life that is deciding to love like God loves, it is like entering into the very heart of God who is love himself. God's love never changes. To love like Christ is to enter into the very nature of God. The world has a picture of love, does it not? Years ago, I remember Holly and I decided to, uh, I forget where we were, we were at some place, uh, maybe it was an amusement park or something, but they had this tunnel of love type thing. And we decided to go on it. We were younger, mar- a young married couple, and bless God, let's go on it. Because I'm thinking a dark tunnel and a boat all by myself. Pucker up, baby. Let's enjoy this time, amen, through this dark tunnel. Can I say that as a pastor? Am I allowed to say that? I think I am. Um, but uh, uh, I, I, I was looking forward to that time. But, you know, when we entered it, my wife thinks, looks at some things and just looks at these different things that they had pictured as love, and we got to laughing more than smooching in that tunnel. You enter that thing of love, and it has this adult, small adult man and a nappy with wings on his back and this bow with arrows on it trying to shoot this heart, and the comicalness of just that very image began to tickle her funny bone, and it began to tickle mine. And then we walk on and it shows this uh, 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 man uh, or this prince or knight leaning over a princess like the Sleeping Beauty or Cinderella type stories. And the whole uh, oddity of how it was done for, again, it wasn't a proper Disney World type thing, but it was just a copy of that and whomever they hired was definitely well below a professional tier and and so you look at the comicalness of the characters portrayed and we began to laugh about all these different scenes that they had that were supposed to mark some type of romance as you enter into this tunnel of love you know there's so many things that the world looks at that picture a type of love that god says that's all trivial compared to what i like to love It's all trivial compared to the nature that God loves. Entering into the very heart of love, entering into the very nature of charity, of God's love, moves and works in ways in which we would not even dream possible at times. God's love works. What a blessing it is that you and I both can decide this morning to love like Christ. God Himself May I encourage you to enter in to His love. It changes us into that which is lasting. Look please at our text. I don't have any points this morning, just reading Scripture, one through uh, just 8 through 13 this morning as we finish this. And let's look at some thoughts here this morning. I want you to be very, very, very careful in hearing this morning especially as we enter these first few verses here of our text, as Paul really sets up a doctrine that will help us even today. And uh, it'll put some things in perspective, and I know it'll help, especially if you've been wondering, 
the word of God, how did it come to be, and how, and, and how did God perfect it? We're going to see these things here in just a moment. Let's, lo- let's look at scripture. We're going we're gonna to teach a little bit, so I'm gonna, we're going to go a little deep, um, but we'll keep it practical, and it'll be a help to you if you allow the word of God to do so. First of all, look at what the Bible says in verse number eight. Charity never faileth. That word faileth there is the Greek, is the Greek word pepito which means to suffer defeat, failure, ruin. It speaks of never losing its authority or cease to have force or power. The Bible says charity, God's love in action, never loses its authority, never loses its power. God stated that about His very word. In Luke chapter 16, we see in verse number 17, God speaking of that, of his word, never failing. That's pipito, that's speaking of never losing its power. It will always have its work. It will never lose anything in which God has given it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. Think about that for just a moment. When I love like God loves, God says that love has the same powerful, enduring impact as God's word. That's an incredible thought right there. So much we can learn from that very thing. But that's how important it is to love because God says it's not going to fail just like God's word never fails. Love is powerful. Love impacts greatly. It is God himself. It is in the very nature of God himself, and therefore it is eternal. In other words, it cannot die. When one acts upon the love of God, that work is eternal and does not die. We know this so often by going to a funeral by speaking to the members of the family and one who loved in parts in life like God loved, what is it that that family speaks of? Speaks of those moments in which that family member loved. Like Christ loved. The time in which they were kind. The time in which they were thoughtful. That they were selfless. They were giving that did that which was right and good in accordance to Scripture, it leaves an impression whether or not they even knew Christ as Savior, but they chose to act in a manner of love that was like Christ. It makes an impression that goes beyond the grave. It goes beyond their life. It is something that imprints upon the heart and the mind of those who have received that love, and it is something in which the stories tell. Funerals are always bittersweet, especially if it's a Christian. We understand the momentary of saying goodbye, but then we think about the eternal nature in which we will enjoy being with them forever with the Lord. But as we think about that very thing, we think about those moments that have impacted our life with love. So important it is that we choose to love because love has a power behind it that has no rival, that has no equal. The love of God has the power of God himself behind it. God spoke this world into existence. His love took Jesus to Calvary. His love resurrected his son that's the power of his love loving like christ's love is never a trivial thing it's always impactful it's always powerful charity never faileth let's continue but whether there be prophecies they shall fail that word fail there speaking to of prophecies 
is once again the Greek word karterio, which means to reduce to activity. It's different than the failing that we saw in charity. This is speaking of a fail of reducing to an activity, or inactivity, excuse me. It's in essence, the Holy Spirit here is saying, prophecies would be put out of business. One day they will be shut. One day they would not be needed. But how does this stated? Let me teach you just a couple of things here this morning. A few things. Via the language Greek. When we look at this word fail, it is a verb. This verb in the Greek language has three, as three, is part of one of three basic voices or tenses, we could put it in as in English. There is an active sense. Again, let me teach you just a few things here for a moment. It's help put things in perspective as we journey through 1 Corinthians 13 here. The active voice <clears throat> is used when the subject is doing the acting. So if we were to put that in a simple, uh, simple English form, we would state the, the mother, we could state a sentence like this, the mother washes the child. In other words, it is the active voice of the verb to wash. The mother is the one that is actively doing what? Washing the child. The mother is the subject. The mother is the uh, one doing the washing. But then there is a passive way in order for a Greek verb to be used. The passive voice is used when the subject is being acted upon by another party. If we were to, again, use that same sentence, but change the structure of it to match the emphasis being placed, we would state the child is washed by his mother. That would mean that the passive voice, or that would be the passive voice, excuse me, because the child is getting washed by someone other than himself, even though the child is the subject. But the passive voice is referring to someone else is doing the washing rather than the child himself doing the washing. And then there's a third basic voice in the Greek language, and that's called the middle voice. The middle voice is used when the subject is doing the action upon itself. So if we were to, again, go back to that sentence, we would say the child washes himself. That would be the middle voice of the verb to wash because he performs the action on himself. What does all that mean? The active, passive, or middle voice. When we look at the word uh, prophecy shall fail, it is speaking in the passive voice. What does that mean? Reminder that the subject is not the one that's doing the action. So it's not saying that prophecies are going to fail because of themselves, but rather there's a third person. There's another one that is going to be doing the failing, the ending, is going to be shutting down the prophecies. Well, who is going to be doing the shutting down of of these prophecies? Who is the one that is acting as the one who ends the time of prophecies here and that somebody is of course god himself god is the one that is going to be causing these prophecies to cease and to be abolished god himself was the one that was going to choose to end prophecies prophecies like paul preaching and teaching the church in Thessalonica about the end times, about what is going to take place in rapture and tribulation and, all, uh, and looking forward to the return of Christ. And those prophecies, God says, I am going to end. Those type of prophecies, I am going to cease. They will come to a point in which they will no longer be given. And God himself is the one that chooses that. But notice, go to verse number 8 again. Go back to the, go to the end of that verse. We're going to skip that middle part for just a moment. We're coming right back to it. But to keep our minds in thinking of this passive voice, let's look at that ending part of verse number 8. 
whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Those words, vanish away, is the same Greek word that we saw about prophecies. Katerio. In other words, knowledge wasn't something that was studied or learned, but rather it was a gift given by the Holy Spirit that enabled prophets to hear or read the Apostles' doctrine, understand it fully through the Holy Spirit, and then relay the words to the early church before the completion of the New Testament. This this gift, knowledge, like prophecies, would be at the... uh, Oh, or excuse me, like prophecies, this unique gift of knowledge, the ability to know supernaturally or by apostolic instruction, apart from a completed written revelation, would be abolished. God himself is the one that would be abolishing that knowledge, would be abolishing this gift or ending or shutting the, shutting the business uh, down, if we can put it that way, on this spirit given gift then let's go back to verse number eight to that middle phrase the word tongue whether there be tongues they shall cease that word tongue there or excuse me that word cease there is the greek word pavo which means to stop or to come to an end But again, the reason why I gave you the active and the passive and middle voice was for, once again, for us to see how God was putting those things in. So God says that charity is never going to fail. God himself is the one that is going to continue its power and its authority. When we love like God loves, it makes an impact that does not end. Prophecies, God says, I'm going to end. Knowledge, God says, I'm going to end. Now stay with me here. This word tongues, speaking of it shall cease, that word cease there, being the verb, is now speaking in the middle voice. What does that mean? The middle voice, again, speaks of it literally, tongues will make themselves to cease. In other words, the gift of tongues that God gave in Scripture, God says it will end itself. It will not be needed. It will come to an end naturally. It will no longer be needed. It will end. Prophecies and knowledge dealt with the impartation of divine New Testament truth now incorporated in the canon of Scripture and available to the church. When we look at the gifts of prophecies and knowledge, we have record of that through Scripture. God used those things to help give us the Word of God and to preserve the Word of God in this first century as God was giving and completing the Word of God. But tongues dealt with another thing. Tongues dealt with the Jews who looked for a sign because of their unbelief and rejection of Jesus Christ and resisting the Spirit of God. Tongues was that moment in which Peter, as we see in Acts chapter 2, and we'll come back to this later, but let me just give you context here and get our minds thinking and focused upon that in which the Bible speaks of tongues. Peter spoke in his native language, whether it was Greek or Aramaic, uh, 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 probably Aramaic, but we don't know for sure. But one of those two languages, as he spoke, the Bible tells us that he truly was able to be understood among a multitude of different language-speaking people, not knowing Greek, not knowing the language in which he was speaking, and yet they could understand him, and yet they could hear in their own words. So he was speaking in one, one language, and they were able to hear in their own language. That sign, that gift that the Holy Spirit did, the Bible says, will naturally end itself. In other words, this was a moment, this was a momentary thing that God used to show his power and his authority behind the apostles, behind the disciples, and behind those first seven.
century Christians. And once that authority was established, it would no longer be needed. It would no, it would cease on its own. How important it is that we understand this very thing because God never intended for tongues to continue on, but rather it would naturally cease because it would no longer be needed. Sometimes I hear a parent say to a child, listen to me because I am your father. If that statement has to be made, it is because you truly are not acting in the father-like manner. Because once again, if a child is speaking, if a child is not listening and has been instructed and has been taught and has been trained, and you have to once again remind of your authority, you never had that authority in the first place. And so God was giving the disciples authority. The disciples were giving the Christians there the uh, the the very public nature that he had there uh, god had given them authority and power and that would naturally no longer be needed just as when a child is grown and just when a child becomes more mature you don't have to constantly state look i am your father they understand that they understand that you are who you are and if you've trained and if you've reared and if you've instructed in righteousness it will be a natural process of that respect of that position in which god has given same thing with the tongues god gave this as a sign of authority but it would not be continued to be needed because god had given scripture and that scripture could then be given to others tongues would cease and it would cease before prophecies or knowledge would be done this would have been equivalent in this first century church of corinth that was still seeing the canon of scripture develop like a huge bucket of ice water being poured over top of them because this was something in which they were fighting about. This was something in which they were at contention about. Well, I want to speak in tongues. I want to speak in this. I want to do this. And it was a thing of which there was chaos and confusion going on in the church. And Paul literally said, it's ending. It's not going on. What they thought was important and what they thought was vital to fight for, Paul said it's going to cease. And it's going to be the first one to cease. It would have extinguished the fires of contention among that church. Go to verse number 9, please, if you would. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When we see those words, prophets, or when we know in part, in prophecy in part, that word part there literally speaks of bit by bit or little by little. Paul was reminding the church in Corinth here that they did not have, of course, the full or complete canon of Scripture just yet. God was still using apostles. God was still using others to develop the, uh, uh, the, whole, the whole word of God and John the gospel uh, John the disciple would be the one that would pen the final words of scripture we see these final words in scripture in revelation chapter 2 verse number 18 notice what the bible says for i testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book if any man shall add unto these things god shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book and if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy god shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book god ends the can 
canon of Scripture with Revelation chapter 22, with John. It's done. It's complete. But Paul was reminding them, look, things are still developing here. We're still seeing the word God give his word here. We know in part, we know a little more. God's give us, God gives us a little more and a little more and a little more. And we're still learning. We're still growing. We're still seeing God complete the canon of Scripture. And we need to understand the time context here. If we take this portion of Scripture and simply try to apply it to our our 21st century Christianity, we're going to misapply it. Because again, he's speaking to the church in Corinth. He's saying that God is developing the word of God. It's we know in part. And one day, notice what he says in verse number 20. He says, but when that which is perfect, and we're going to speak on that word in perfect in just a moment, then that which is in part shall be done away. God was, Paul was once again reaffirming their hearts on Scripture. Reaffirming their hearts on the Word of God. God was giving prophecy, God was giving instruction, and God was using for a time tongues to help give the authority of the Scripture being given. But God, but Paul was speaking of that in which was going to be perfect, or that which was perfect was coming. What was that perfect thing which was coming? The Bible teaches us that word perfect is the Greek word teleos, which means mature, whole, and complete without defect or blemish. So what was Paul speaking of? Remember, he's speaking of communication here. Some take this and apply it to other things and other doctrines, but you see the context here. It's speaking of communicating, of of, of developing the word of God. And as Paul is speaking of developing the word of God, he is saying the goal of the communication gifts, prophecy and knowledge, was the completion of the New Testament. And when the New Testament would then be completed, the inspired speaking or prophecies and supernatural knowledge would no longer be needed. With the completion of the New Testament and the passing of any need for supernatural phenomena, Christianity would become mature. It was no longer adolescent. It was an adult. I love how John Phillips writes on this. The Holy Spirit gave the various supernatural manifestations as they were required. The the apostles needed gifts of wisdom and knowledge. They needed the sign gifts to give them credibility. The prophets also needed the supernatural speaking gifts to enable them to retail, reveal truth as, when, and where needed the apostles and prophets have gone. The evangelists, pastors, and teachers remain. The Bible stands supreme. The apostles completed their testimony. The New Testament canon of, the canon of Scripture was completed and closed. That which is perfect had come. The New Testament Scriptures inspired and collected by the holy spirit into a single volume are perfect it's complete it's finished thank god for that thank god that his word is complete thank god it's perfect there's nothing lacking there's not one thing that we can look at the word of god and say it's missing it's all there thank god for that he's preserved it for us and as English-speaking people, we believe that it has been inspired, uh, preserved through the King James Bible or the authorized version. And we believe that. We see that God has preserved the Textus Receptus and has given us English-speaking people the wonderful words of God. Thank God that He has done so. Thank God that His Word is perfect. It is not something in which we are lacking in any way. It is there. It is mature. It is complete and finished in every way. Paul now gives two illustrations. Look please at verse number 11. Again, he's speaking about communication. I've heard this this verse used out of context so many times. Let me let's see what God says as the context here. When I was a child, I spake as a child. 
I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. What has God been speaking of up to this point? The context of his love and the love never, his love never fails. And then transitions into the communication. Communicating and perfecting the word of God. Again, speaking truth, speaking the word of God, having the word of God. And as he's speaking and thinking of the word of God, we come to verse number 11. And what does he use? Speaking, understanding, and thinking as a child. Speech arises out of understanding, and understanding out of thought the more a child matures the more he thinks the more his intellect the more intelligent his understand uh, his understanding the more sensible and profitable his speech becomes for example if you were to try to explain algebra to elizabeth this morning she would probably have a hard time understanding although she is Ruth's daughter, so she might be able to comprehend it quickly. Uh, I'm not going to say David because she wouldn't be able to. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, but uh, uh, but there, she would have a difficult time with that. If I tried speaking to Samuel about algebra, it would be a difficult time. Why? Because numbers and letters mixed together to equal into a mathematical formula? How does that work? <laughs> but David's in his second year of algebra. Now, he doesn't understand everything about algebra, but he has a grasp on it. He understands when you put numbers and letters together how to get formulas to come up with a numerical number, a numerical answer. Why? Because he has matured. The more a child matures, the more they understand and the more they can communicate that the more they can relate and speak in a way in which is more relatable. It's the natural process of growing up, of maturing. What is Paul doing here? He is personifying Christianity. He is personifying this first century Christianity. As God was completing Scripture, the Holy Spirit had to help them think through prophecy, understand, in knowledge, and show His power through speaking in tongues. But just as a parent's goal is for a child to not stay at a uh, 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 to stay at a baby type mentality, but for them to grow. That was God's nature. That was God's heart. He didn't want Christianity to be carnal and, and uh, uh, childlike or babylike, but rather to mature and to grow. And God matured and grew these Christians. How? By giving and completing the Word of God. When Scripture was fully given, there would be no need for the sign gifts of tongues like we mentioned a moment ago in Acts chapter 2. Nor would there be any more use for the prophecy and knowledge for more scripture because God had completed his word to man. These were transitional gifts for a time, but they would end. They were needed for the moment, but today we have the complete word of God. Those things are no longer needed tongues ended on themselves but god ended prophecies and knowledge again speaking to the divine nature of the word of god why is it that one reads the word of god over and over and over and over again 
and continually gets truth after truth after truth out of the same portions of scripture you've read a hundred, maybe a thousand times before, and yet truth continually comes to life in incredible ways. Why? Because it is the divine nature of God. It is a divine book. It's God's book. It's a living book. And when God completed it, he now then gave what? Teachers, pastors, evangelists to help study and to help grow and to help lead Christians into a gospel-centered heart and mind that would continue to learn and study and to grow in the Word of God. Understand, it's much more difficult to study and to teach the word of God than it would have been for these apostles to suddenly have the Holy Spirit of God begin to speak through them. Because again, it was God speaking through them. It wasn't them of themselves. It wasn't something they came up with themselves. God was giving. It's much more mature to study and to grow in Scripture. These transitional gifts would end. Paul's focus on this verse was how a child communicates. And Paul was telling these Corinthians that it is time for them to grow up and begin to think, understand, and speak like adults. In other words, he's saying, look, you need to, you need to mature. <laughs> You're battling over some things in which you have no authority to battle over. He said, it's time for you to grow up and to understand that God will complete his word when he sees fit. Tongues is going to end. It's going to end before the scripture is fully completed because it will no longer be needed. God has put his stamp of authority upon us. God has put his stamp of authority of authority upon the disciples. We understand that God is behind this and these things will end. They will not be needed. And it was time for these Corinthians to become mature. It's time for them to grow up. That's the context. I've heard this verse used in so many different ways. But Paul was relating, it's time for you to grow in Christ. And to become mature as a child of God. Verse number 12, notice, with me, uh, notice this with me, if you would. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as I also am known. Paul here uses another illustration. He uses an illustration of growing up, of becoming a mature Christian adult. But he is also now using that in which is, again, being revealed. He said, look, we're looking, through, we're looking in the mirror. We're looking in that in which is a looking glass. And understand that they didn't have mirrors quite like you and I have mirrors today. We think of it second nature, but they didn't have those things. They would be something like a polished metal, sometimes gold, sometimes other polished metal brought to a high sheen. And Paul says, when we look through it, he says, we still cannot see fully all that we would like to see. It's not a perfect reflection back to us. It's not a perfect image. We want to see fully, but we can't see fully. We see it darkly. We see some areas in which we would like to see, and we've got to get different lighting, and we've got to get different things to try to see everything. We're trying to put it all in perspective, but we can't. It's like we have a bit of the puzzle, but we're missing some pieces. He says, but then, but soon, we'll be able to see like as in face-to-face, like as if we were one and, uh, uh, speaking one to another as we were communicating in person. We will be able to see clearly just as we could, uh, uh, just like as if we were looking at a reflection that was a perfect, fully illuminated picture or a copy or reflection of ourself but right now we know in part we know some but we don't know all 
that God has given yet. The final completion, assembly and circulation of the New Testament scriptures has put in our hands that of the means to know the entire range of revealed truth. It enables us to know even as we are known. In other words, when he says, but, when, uh, but then shall I know even as I also am known? In other words, he's saying God knows us and now we can know him. God knows you and I. And as we get to know him, we and then, in essence, get to know ourselves and understand more about ourselves. As I know more about scripture, the more I know of me, of how I'm made, of how I am to be, of how I am to live, how I am to allow the word of God to grow and to mature my life. The more I know of him, the more I know of what God wants and desires. Think of it like this. Old Testament Christianity was looking, in essence, to a Christmas gift. Have you ever wanted and desired a Christmas gift that you just couldn't wait to get to? Maybe you had some inkling or maybe you heard something that this gift was under the tree and you just couldn't wait to get into it. Whether you were a child or whether you are an adult that, hey, you just love Christmas, amen? You can't wait to get to whatever it is that's underneath the, 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 the uh, uh, Christmas pa- or the Christmas tree there. You can't wait to open it up and to receive it. Christianity in the Old Testament was looking to see what was that package. They didn't know Jesus Christ as far as in person. They knew the foretelling of him. They knew God was going to send his son. That was illustrated and exampled and prophesied about over and over and over again. It was very clear that God was going to send his son through a virgin and that he was going to face uh, a or he was going to be the sacrifice for our sins. That was illustrated in so many ways. But they didn't know that package. They didn't know who he would be exactly besides God himself. But then God came. Jesus Christ came. The package was presented. The package under the tree was there in essence. And all those Christians, all those who were there following him, got to see the present. Got to see that in which God was preparing for and God was preparing the world for and God was putting things together in his perfect will and his perfect time and putting all those things in place. And then, in the New Testament... Those who trusted in that gift of Christ began to reveal, began to take that wrapping paper and began to rip it apart, began to open up and see, and that's exactly what was taking place when the canon of Scripture was being developed and being given. It was like taking a piece of wrapping paper off of the item and you can see into it. You have the gift. You've accepted the gift. You know Christ, but you are waiting to see all that is in there, all that is to be included into that gift. And they were excited. They wanted to see what was in there. And God was giving them more and more rippings, so to speak, of that wrapping paper. They could say, hey, I can see that this looks like to be an item. This looks like it could be this. This looks like it could be that. And it began to develop more and more until suddenly when God gave the perfect canon of Scripture, it was all to be known. It was all to be available. It was all given in perfect completion. And God says, I presented it. You can take off the, all the wrapping paper and enjoy all the blessings of the gift that come with salvation. The Old Testament Christians didn't know all of the things that God was going to put in the New Testament. But now we have the word of God. He's given it to us completely. We can take uh, the wrapping paper has come off, if we can put it that way. And truly we can see and we can know his word and his heart and his mind. Why? Because he's given us the word of God. It is perfect. It is complete. It is there. And it is there for us to enjoy and partake in. In a relationship with God himself. Paul concludes in verse number 13. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, 
these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Charity is the greatest of faith and hope. What what does that mean? Why would the love of God, the action love of God, be greater than faith or hope? Can we once again remind ourselves of context? Who's he speaking to? A church? Christians? Children of God? Saying, look, when you act upon the love of God, what is it going to cause you to do? It's going to move you to do what? To grow in faith with your Father. The love of God will move us. It will cause us to move to grow in faith. The charity, that acting love of God will move our hearts to hope more in Christ. Love drives us to grow in faith. It compels us to grow in hope. It compels us to grow Christian life. It is the love of God in our hearts and life that help us to become a more mature child of God and to grow in our relationship with Him. That is why the love of God is so important. That is why it's important for you and for me to decide on a daily and sometimes many times a day process to say, God, I want to love like you love and I am choosing to love like you love. It might be difficult right now. It might be a circumstance in which this love is really being pushed back against but God I am choosing to love like you love knowing that as I do so I am growing in hope and faith God's love helps us to mature as a child of God and that is why Paul says it is the greatest of these things do we need faith yes do we need hope in God absolutely but my friends the love of God will compel us to grow in those areas it will move us to act upon the word of God it will cause us and reaffirm in our hearts hope in him thank God that he's given us the opportunity to decide to have charity charity never fails love never fails may I encourage you this morning as Paul encouraged this church to one take solace in that God has given us his word And as Christians, we have the opportunity to choose to love. It's great. Loving like God loves enters the very nature of God. May we choose charity.